right, before we get started, I wanted to tell y'all, go check out SheetsGiggles.com. And with the promo code NOSTALGIC, you can get 20% off on your next order. That's right, a pair of eucalyptus sheets, 20% off on Shiggles and the Nostalgia Pit. So make sure you go check that out because these sheets are the best sheets around. I hear that. I hear that. Well, uh, let's get into it. Um, Rob, this is Colin. Colin, Rob. Hey, Colin. Hey, Rob. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. Uh, more than happy to do a favor to another for another Colin. Yeah, <laughs> right. Couple of Collins cutting it up. Couple of Collins cutting up. Is that going to be the title of the uh, of the podcast? I thought about it, but I think we're going to go getting shiggy with it. Getting shiggy with it. Yeah, was... I'm good with it. I've heard <laughs> yeah. it before. It's funny. It's good. You know, it was there. Sometimes the low hanging fruit is just what you go with. Yeah, I'm up for it. It's most right. Yeah, we're going to introduce you to uh, our listenership, and so we figured that that would be a good way, especially with uh, us being in the nostalgia pit. Uh, a lot of our listeners growing up right around those late '90s, early aughts, and nothing much, nothing much better than a dance hall Will Smith era. You know. Na, 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 na. Bring it. <laughs> I think I, I. So after he slapped Chris Rock, I actually found I was going through my my old stuff as I occasionally do when I go to visit my parents. They make me dive through old things. And uh, I found a cassette player um, that from 1996, and I think it was the either the Men in Black soundtrack or or no, it was Welcome to Miami, I think. And it was an it was a, a, a tape, like not like a CD, but like a tape that you would put into a car, and it was in had the cover and Will Smith on it and everything. And I think I just tweeted it out, and I was like, "This still slaps." Uh, nice. <laughs> That's good. Nice. On that note, we're going to queue up the uh, intro music. I'm going to do the intro real quick, and, and and we'll queue it off. I don't have my sample board set up yet, so I do it kind of the sloppy way, and I'm just going to share the screen. You're just going to see my screen, but you get to hear the sounds too, you know? So. And then, and then what do you – so, sorry. I don't know if I prepared enough for this. What, what am I to do when I see the words? Oh, there are no words. I'm just going to read off the intro real quick, and then and then. Oh, okay, log- got it. I was yeah. like, "What's what's happening? Am I reading the words?" Okay, no, you're reading the words. No, All just right. marvel at whatever you see. Just marvel and hang out. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, just relax for a couple moments, and then and then I'll I'll, I'll kick it off to you. Rob and I are going to do our thing. Intro the folks. Let them know who you are, etc. What the to expect on the episode. And uh, yeah, we're just starting to finally get into like the professional side and like actually doing this in production as opposed to pre or post production. And so we're trying to dial it in, you know what I'm saying? So cool. Mm-hmm. On that note, here is some themage. <music> Greetings listeners. Welcome on into the nostalgia pit. This is a podcast aiming to dissect pop culture, the subconscious, and other psychological phenomenon through a hyperbolic and prismatic lens. Hosted by Rob Snow and Colin Cassard, with songs produced by Golden Beats and mixed by Alex Riddle, the Nostalgia Pit is available anywhere you find your podcasts. 
Today, we welcome in a very special guest, Colin McIntosh, founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles. A couple of Collins cutting it up. <clears throat> oh, uh, yo. Oh, yeah. Hey, Rob. Sorry about that. I mean, what am I here? I mean, come on. I, uh, you're here. We got Rob <laughs> here, too. So we got a couple Collins and a Rob. All right. This episode, we're going to talk about how to navigate your own business in an ever-changing social media landscape, and we'll also talk about some absurd comic book origin stories and the pitfalls of capitalism. Oh, don't forget the uh, promotional aspect of this whole thing. We got, we got something to add in there, interject. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, we do have a special announcement today. We just launched our Patreon. That's right. Woo. So if you enjoy the Nostalgia Pit and you want to support a little further, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Nostalgia Pit. And at this time, we want to thank our brand new sponsor, Strange Loop Animation, a brand new visual arts company specializing in 2D animation. The founders of Strange Loop have been supporters of the show since day one. And as they are now supporters of the show, we are now supporters of their art. So make sure you go out and check them on Instagram at Strange Loop Animations, all one word. And don't forget to stay tuned until the end of the episode where we have the song Something About You by Nostalgia Pit's very own Aralis. Yes, that's right. Rob is a.k.a. his alias is Aralis. Don't tell them I told you so. But make sure you stay tuned till the end because that is an absolute banger. And it is produced by none other than OK Friend of the Pod. You can find a link to both of their music and everything Sheets and Giggles in the description. Alrighty then. Here we go. Getting shiggy with it. Na 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 na. Yeah. That's beautiful. All right. That music was incredible. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that is produced by uh, my buddy uh, Golden Beats, um, good friend of mine, Thaddeus. He's from Orcas Island, and um, I got to know him through doing hip hop in the Northwest. And there's not too many, you know, people in the Northwest that make hip hop, as you can imagine. And so it's a tight knit community. That's how I got to know Rob here, and um, met some lifelong friends that way. So same. Nice. Well, it was a sick beat, and it and I think it did what you needed to accomplish, which just gave me some pretty good nostalgia and uh, got me hyped up. This is yeah. going to be nostalgic. Hell yeah, Colin. How do you feel about the nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety TMNT movie? Uh so I love it. It's one of my favorites. It's like one of those things that's indelibly printed on my memory. I was born in nineteen ninety, so I think I saw that movie when I was probably like four or five, like one of the earlier, I was so obsessed with Ninja Turtles when I was like two, three, four, that I think my mom let me see like the live action version when I was uh, four, five or four or five or six. And I remember thinking, it's funny, I, re- I actually recently rewatched it. I remember thinking the guy with the hockey stick was so fucking cool. Casey Jones, yeah. Uh, when I was, when I was yeah, a little kid. And now that I'm older and I'm rewatching it, I'm like, this guy's a psychopath. Guy's like he's like, out, <laughs> yeah, he's like yeah. out in the middle of the night, like fighting crime with a hockey stick. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a classic. And and honestly, the costumes are so good They're versus so good, man. versus mo- like I guess they just don't make like costume artists like they used to, or at least not 
for movies with that type of a budget, you know, like, but yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. I would have to imagine there's like a calculus of like, how long does it take to create the suits? How long does it take to shoot with the suits versus how long does it take to like stick some like balls on a guy or whatever and do it in post? I don't know. Or or just, or just throw like, you know, like a green suit on them and then throw some on CGI. Yeah, totally. But like the care that somebody went into making like, you know, the rat suit or the rat, no, it was a rat puppet, right? It was like a Yoda puppet for mm-hmm. Splinter. And then, yeah, like, uh, th- that movie is, uh, is like one of those sort of like, uh, I would just say very formative movies for me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. It was my first noir movie. <laughs> Neo noir. <Yeah. laughs> the scene when the guy's delivering the dominoes at the start. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. One twenty-two, one twenty-two, and an eight. One, twenty-two, and an eight. Terrific. Where the heck is one, twenty-two, and an eight? You're standing on it, dude. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I fucking <laughs> love that shit. <laughs> yeah, and then he like puts the cash through the, yeah. the manhole cover. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's 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 everything that like you would want a Ninja Turtles movie to be. And then I feel like the Michael Bay movie was everything you didn't want a Ninja Turtles movie to be. Polar so. opposite. Yeah. Yeah, polar opposite. So. Um, yeah, good opening question. I think the, uh, the one downfall of me being in love with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid and finding them and everything was that I was very curious about sewers. And so <laughs> there was a quite a bit of sewer and pipe exploring, you know, when I was an adolescent. I never got sick or too injured or anything like that. But did you ever crawl down and, and like did you open up a manhole cover at one point? Oh yeah. And like when it yeah. See, no, my mom made sure I knew that that was fake. She was like, "There's no Ninja Turtles under there." Like, great don't job, be, mom. Jeez, yeah, yeah, the romance. Was, Come on. My my mom my mom was always big on like making sure I knew that movies were fake. Like I'd be like seven years old, and she's like, "You know, this is just a movie, right? Those are actors." And I'm like, "Yes, I can conceptualize that this is not." actually happening somewhere in the world like um so yeah that was always like a stipulation if i wanted to see like a pg-13 movie i had to like verbally confirm that i knew it was fake (laughs) (laughs) do you think that helped you out later with like critical thinking maybe i don't know i mean i you know i think it i think it was like at least nice for me to like be able to not get freaked out by certain movies or like not get overly scared by certain things um you know, and I de- definitely like, I don't know, I appreciate film a lot. Like I'm a big movie buff. Um, I, I am just someone who like really enjoys going to the theater and sitting down and watching it like on the big screen. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've always had appreciation for movies. I don't know if I'm giving critical thinking skills. I don't, I don't think so. But yeah, I got, I got a lot of my critical thinking skills from my dad uh-huh. who, uh, as an attorney, and he would cross examine me at the dinner table. So uh, he would often, when I was nine or 10 years old, we'd be sitting there eating and he would have me and my sister who was three years older than me. And he would say, uh, you know, hey, so I have this case and here's the argument that I'm going to make in court tomorrow. And he would give us his argument. And he said, now, if you were in the jury, what would you say? And we <laughs> had to awesome. say whether or not whether or not his case held water and he figured if a 10 and a 13 year old could understand and agree, then it would work with the jury. 
And if not, then he was SOL and probably had to settle prior to trial. That's pretty dope. That's probably a pretty good logic considering, you know, the general um, consciousness level <laughs> of the American uh, populace. But um, No doubt. And it's e- easy to be simple. Easier to be simple. You win more cases. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading a little bit about um, an interview. I can't remember in what publication you did it with, but you were talking about a little bit about your backstory and growing up in Fort Lauderdale um, and how your your both your parents were independent uh, business owners. And mm-hmm. they they pushed, um, well, maybe not pushed the idea on you, but ingrained the idea on you that working for yourself was, um, you know, ultimately the, the greatest benefit. My uncle, he was a real estate agent and worked for himself for, you know, for better or for worse through the 90s in California, um, benefited and then, you know, lost a good amount from 2008 and, you know, has been struggling a little bit since. But he has been, you know, one of the, the pieces of advice he's always given me is is to to work for yourself. And I yeah. think I'm finally understanding that after 15 years in kitchens and trying to, you know, help other people's businesses and things like that, you know, deciding to steer away. But um, one of the things that as I was reading that, you know, the long um, winded uh, intro to this question, as I was reading that, I was I was curious, what were your uh, did you ever have like a dream job when you were a kid? And like, were your parents supportive of an I, you know, whatever idea, even if it was absurd? I had two dream, two dream jobs. Like every kid, I dreamt of being a paleontologist. I think every single child ever, including my fiance and my now my nephew and my niece, like they got dinosaur bones. You know, like that's Hell like yeah. the coolest thing ever for any kid. So that was number one. My, my, yeah, but they bought me a big paleontology book. I was six. They got me a book that seemed like the biggest book that ever was made, and I I read through the whole thing and. Um, I, it was funny when I was reading that book as a six year old, I then went to my mom and I said, I don't think that I can be a paleontologist because it sounds like they've already dug up a lot of the fossils. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I, the second dream job I had when I was like a teenager actually was, I really wanted to be a major league baseball umpire. Mm. Um, I, I used to umpire for local like kids games, high school games all throughout yeah. high school. God, I loved it. And it was, it's just so much fun because being an umpire is like, you have the biggest impact on the game besides the players and it can be negative or positive and you really want it to be positive. And so you want to bring the energy, you want to bring the hype, you want to, you know, there's a close play. And that's the thing is like, I always grew up in the umpires. A lot of them would just be like, yeah, he's out safe, you know, whatever. And these are parents paying $300, $200 for the season, for their kids' uniforms, for the equipment, for the bats, for, you know, all this stuff. And it always felt weird to me that like the umpires who were getting paid like 15 bucks an hour, 18 bucks an hour, like not terrible for the the early two thousands, you know, part-time fun job. They would just kind of get out there and, you know, have no enthusiasm. And I always thought it was such a disservice to the, you know, the 20 or or 40 parents that were sitting in the crowd who just worked all day, came home at 5 PM, brought their kids to baseball games, like good parents trying to, do something good for their kids. So I always loved like close play. You know, I, I'd point right to the, and I'd be like on the tag, like, God, I'm like, or I'd be like, no, his foot's off the bag. And like, you know, you throw it safe. Like, and I used to love that. And the energy level would be so good. And the parents would go nuts. And, um, and so I always wanted to do that in the majors. And, uh, again, I'm very like analytical in terms of like my best opportunities and I looked at how many major league umpires there are, and there are a grand total of 64. 
60, 64, uh, four per game, 15 games maximum per night, four alternates. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's not going to work out either. And so those are my, my two dream jobs. But yeah, my parents are very supportive of both. I did that's not realize that was such a competitive field. Crazy. Yeah. It's one of the most exclusive jobs in the world. Interesting. Yep. And, yeah, and yet they still suck. I was just <laughs> going to say, and we still have Angel Hernandez and CB Buckner. It's nepotism, man. It's like it's like the one thing that you actually like don't need a union, and yet the union is like incredibly strong. Like, it's like the one place where it's like, no, you don't need a union because there's like you could find like 64 like incredibly talented people to do this job. Like you don't need that. Like, like but you know the the union's like, no, Angel Hernandez, like you're still going to stay out there. You're still going to do your thing. Like even though everybody fucking hates you. So, I don't know. I'm sure he's trying. But Sometimes, yeah. you know, you're doing your best and your best just isn't good enough. And that's acceptable when there's only 64 positions of like, you know, there's probably some better eyes. But also, you know, it's very possible that we won't have 64 positions here soon because robots. Oh, yeah. I am actually the older I get, the more I'm for robots. But let me ask you guys this. <laughs> so I, I went to a baseball game recently. Uh, the Marlins versus the Mets where fam hit that home run that Stu Goss was talking about the other day. Oh, yeah, and um, it was a good game. It was a fun game. But through seven in, through six innings, there were only seven hits. Yeah. And it's the pitch clock. To, it was my first game ever with a pitch clock. And I appreciated it because it. I, I will say it kept the game moving, and that's what you want. You don't want people to be listless. But at the same time, if you don't fix the contact problem, then you it doesn't. You're just making guys strike out faster. So, like, what would you guys do to increase contact in the majors? I know for me, I'd move the mound back at least a foot or two, or down a foot or two. And I think that that would solve a huge amount of problems and increase contact exponentially. I've got a lot of thoughts about this one. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know anything about yeah. sports. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Colin. No, I was going to say, I think moving that mound back is like the, the logical conclusion because we've, uh, you know, especially in baseball over the years, there have there has been this evolution. As the game evolves, essentially the pitchers always – get the upper hand and then, and then the game has to evolve and and give the the hitters a little bit more of a chance and so i think that you know the last time that i remember that happening was like sandy koufax and regulating the mound um right. the, si the size of the mound that was bob bob gibson i thought was the guy who was responsible for that i can't remember but maybe you're right maybe it was sandy yeah well i just remember there's like a very specific like it's a very controversial no hitter that sandy threw i think in the or, or, or a world series that he had where he had two no hitters or something like that or two shutouts mm. and and it was it's too you know, dominant too dominant to like for you know compared to any other performance like ever and if you look at the mound in Dodger Stadium during that time apparently it was you know a little kooky so that's why yeah. sandy sticks in my name for that but that being said, you know, the game adjusts. Now you have all these dudes throwing 99, you know, painting. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. You got to get, yeah, you got to give the hitters more chance. Like, and, and it's like, it's like the guys on the, on the Levitard show always say, like, if Babe Ruth played today, he'd bat like 165 with like 12 home runs because the pitchers, the pitchers today are so, so different. Yeah, the one thing that they never say in that comparison though is that his ERA would have been a five six five. You know right, what I mean? Like that, he would have been yeah, getting he would, crushed. You know what I mean? Rocked. Just, yeah, absolutely. just throwing BP uh, fastballs up there and just getting hit eighty six miles an hour. Going, like, <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, it, yeah. It, it wouldn't work. The game has changed, yeah. um, and I, I'm personally, I'm going to go to a Mariners game, uh, I think sometime in April, I'm planning on going up, nice. saying, hi, saying hi to Rob, um, and checking out a game, so I, I want to see that in action, but I was never upset about the pace of baseball. I always loved going no. to a game and being yeah. there, and the and you know the pace was never the problem. It's just that when the pace, like in the pace, stays the same, but the contact goes from one out of every two batters is making contact to actually. I mean, used to when I was growing up, it used to be two out of three. Like two out of three batters would make contact, right? Like it, 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 even if it was a ground ball or a fly ball or whatever. Like yeah. like balls. In I play. would say mo- most inning ball had like two two or more balls in play. Now you can go like three innings in a row without with like one or two balls in play and then like seven strikeouts. And it's like, it's, it's actually mind numbing to watch as someone who loves baseball. It's, it's one of the most boring things ever. And and it's not the time or how long it takes or the people adjusting their gloves or whatever. It's just that they don't make and reward contact. Yep. Yep. Rob looks very yeah. in, in, Rob, intrigued. Rob, yes, intrigued by this conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry, what were we talking about? No, was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that sounds incredibly boring, man. The crack of the yeah. bat is the only reason I would watch it. You know what I mean? That's the whole, I want to that's see the whole thing. Smack a thing really hard. That's the yeah. whole yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, Rob. Rob is the every fan here. You know, the yeah. Collins. We are the expert every fan, fan, and you are the every oh. fan. And you know, it's okay. You know, we were raised on baseball and and you were not raised on baseball, right? No, I was raised on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's okay. right. God damn it. As we've, as we've established. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, question for you, Colin. Um, what turtle do you see yourself as? Oh, that's funny. I always loved Michelangelo the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all had different personalities. I would say that like Raphael felt the coolest to me um donatello i really identified with because of his intelligence and then uh leonardo i liked his leadership but i also thought the swords were like the lamest weapon and so uh yeah i really michelangelo and Raphael were like my my one and two i think and then donatello even though he was always like the nerd that that was what i what i really liked about him hell yeah yeah. Do you guys remember those Splinters Easy Pizzas in the '90s, or was that like a thing isolated <laughs> to my own kitchen? You know no, what I'm I talking about? That. Hell yeah. With the, yeah, with the English muffins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't so thought like about that a, in forever. That's a yeah. throwback. A throwback. Yeah. Yeah, my mom and I would do that. The the, the tomato sauce and then the the <laughs> little cheese on top. Yeah, that was fun. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was a Mikey until I was a rat. I don't think I'm ever going to be a Leo, and I'm definitely no Donatello. <laughs> yeah, Leo always felt kind of lame. I don't know. Leo, Leo is always like, I don't know. What about what about you, Colin? Are you hopefully not a big Leo guy? Well, I uh, when I was a you better not be when I, ex- I when I was a kid, I was a mixture of Mikey and Leo to where I like I was always thrust into um, leadership roles where I was like the quarterback when we played football. Huh. I was the pitcher up until like seventh or eighth grade. And so, like, I found myself in a lot of, like, people following me a bit more, but I always wanted to be a Mikey when I was a kid. I wanted to be the goofy kid. I wanted to be funnier or, you know, I liked wordplay. You know, I didn't like all of, like, the athlete leadership roles that I was kind of put in uh, in, 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 in um, elementary and middle school. And then so now at this point I identify as a Donnie where, you know, I'm a little bit of a studio nerd. Um, I definitely can get down with the goofiness. And um, we all get more Donatello as we get older. I, I think, think so. 
I think he's yeah. just the most. I think he's the most well-rounded of the turtles. Whereas, like, it's a little fat phobic, but okay. <laughs> they're all rounded. The, 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 the shells. The shells. Oh, <laughs> how do you think they spin on the back? I mean, come on. I mean, you egg see TMNT two legend. You know, let's get Uzi. turtle egg on my face. <laughs> turtle eggs. I like turtles. So I, I came up with a list of some ab absolutely absurd comic book origin stories. I'm excited for this. Yes. Before I uh, dig into that, do you guys have any off the top of your head that you can think of that are either your favorite or just one that stands out? From an origin? They can all be cool, the superhero, but the origin story is, you know, what they kind of uh, make the most movies about. It's what people seem to be the most fascinated with is the transition and how a person becomes the superhero it can kind of become a little boring in one note when the person is the superhero and so i think a lot of the times the the fascination is with the humanity of that transition and and the the idea that you could become something as well you know i've i've got one i mean rob do you have one that you want to talk about i got one for sure it's killing me man because i i love comic books and i can't think of a single one right now so, so I don't know if this is exactly his origin story in the comic books. I think it is. I think it mirrors it. But and, and it's probably why he's also my favorite Avenger. But Captain America's origin story, I think, um, I'm a sucker for like man out of time stories. Um, I love like there's like a romance movie called uh, Somewhere in Time that's like really really touching and a beautiful movie. And you know, there's there's a bunch of time travel movies that that tackle this concept, but like. The man out of time, and that's actually what Loki says to him in Avengers, what he calls him. It's such a tragic backstory because he's thrust into this leadership position, into wartime. He fights the war. He wins the war. He achieves a Pyrrhic victory. Uh, Pyrrhic because he has to sacrifice himself and the woman that he, you know, and, and he has to give up the woman that he loves. He thinks that he's ending his life. But actually, no, he wakes up. 75 years later, uh, his best friend he believes to be dead and gone, his love of his life he believes to be dead and gone, everybody he's ever known, everyone he's ever he's ever talked to is, you know, and it's such a, it's one of those things where it's like, it's such an interesting story because there's so much that you can do with it. And I think that the MCU in particular and Marvel has done a really good job over the years with Cap's character where they've shown that, that, evolution of the character and that character development where he started being somewhere who was out, someone who was out of the 1940s who was like a very like goody two-shoes they towed the government line and then eventually like became this more like rogue character who realized that the world that he grew up in is gone um had had to learn pop culture like you know modern modern contrivances and like a really lesser version of that like a bad way to do that is like what they did with wonder woman 84 where they brought back chris pine's character and he was like whoa like a trash can like it's like oh they oh they didn't have trash cans in the park like like 50, 80 years ago like they, there like, was no on, dude, like, even, even if there weren't public oh. trash cans there were still trash yeah. cans You'd like you know what I mean? with the concept yeah. right and like and like so there's a really good way to do it and there's a really bad way to do it and i just totally love the way they did it with cap yeah i think that that is a perfect example of regardless of the actual like um origin material like the comic books themselves that's just like the execution you just nutshelled the execution of dc versus uh, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like 
<laughs> a trash can? Like what? Like of all the things that you would like a person like, like come on, you know what is happening? <laughs> yeah. and, and I get, I get the, I get the writers' room where they came up with that, where it's like they're like, what should we have them notice? Like cars, like an airplane, like should we have them notice? Like I don't know, neon lights or like you know whatever, and, and a smartphone. And then they were like, somebody was like, no, you know, what'd be really fucking funny is if it's just like the, you know like something really like lame and like every day or whatever, like that's really like, and, and like, it's the whole thing about like subverting expectations right. where like, it's fine yeah. to say like, Hey, let's subvert the expectations. But then somebody else in the writer's room needs to be like, okay, I'm down to subvert the expectations, but I think that's a really dumb idea in particular. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and I feel like that second step is so rarely taken and they just settle for like, Oh yeah, we'll do something different than what they're expecting. And it's just like, it's like, yeah, but that's, bad different like right. you know what was different what was different than what i was expecting i was expecting peggy carter to be dead not having fucking alzheimer's and steve to be quietly visiting her every sunday right torturing himself reliving that moment over and over and over again out of obligation to her that subverted my expectations from the first captain america movie and also almost made me cry right like, that, like that's, that's human. the way to do it yeah, yeah. that's a that great character so moment yeah yeah it's incredible writing yeah so so that's definitely my favorite origin story for sure for sure i would say a really stupid origin story is like daredevil you know what i mean he gets like <laughs> what well, he gets like hit by a car and gets chemicals splashed on him so now he's blind and therefore has superpowers what? wait what <laughs> I also I love the origin stories that teach kids that they should like run into traffic. You know, like, like, like it's, it's always really funny. It's like, and you and you, you think about yourself when you were a kid. Sometimes you thought like, if I just got like bit by a spider, I just got totally, like maybe, yeah. like you know, or if somebody killed my parents, like I could just, like, maybe, you know, you know yeah. 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 Oh no, that I mean, look at me. I was going into sewers when I was nine years old. I mean, seriously, yeah, that's, Jesus. Yeah, and that's because I didn't have the parents that were we like, need more, "Hey, yeah, you know, we need more parental supervision more, there." Hey, parental. do you know that this is fake? I'd be like, well, "What are you talking about? This is, yeah, how, how there's, is there's the turtles down ever. there, and they have pizza. <laughs> I like pizza. I like turtles. I like turtles yeah. going down to the street. <laughs> it's the only thing that can uh, happen. So, all right, comic book origin stories. Oh, I got a, a top five for you in an OLI. All right, okay, in, in an OLI. All right, the OLI is Doctor Droom. Are you familiar with Dr. Droom? That's a fake thing. You just made that up. Dr. D-R-O-O-M. This is a real character created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko. Okay. I feel like, they, it's ran like out of, they ran out of ideas at one point from like 71 through 84. They were just this like... Is, this is 1958. Oh my God. Uh, is this or, like or a bizarro Superman type situation? Or okay. What? What's going on here? In a lot of ways, Dr. Droom, very similar to Dr. Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange debuted a few uh, years later, so it's very possible they took Doctor Droom and turned it into Doctor Strange. So Doctor Droom's a terrible name. Yes. Did Doctor Droom precede Doctor Doom, or Could was it have, right? af after Doctor Doom? That would be wild. If they came up with Doctor Droom before <laughs> Doctor Doom, that would be surprising. That would be like an indictment on their on their creative genius. And then, like, because, <laughs> yeah. like, you know. You know, somebody like a year later was like, I like this Dr. Dream character. <laughs> kind of wondering why you added the extra R. Was that like a typo? <laughs> I can confirm Dr. Dream predates Dr. No! Doom. That's crazy. That's, and that's, that's, that's insane. That's that the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That blows my mind, bro. Okay. What the fuck? 
All right. So and I haven't even gotten into his origin yet. We've just gotten to the name. Oh, geez. All right. It's, it's All a right good I want to know how he got his powers. Okay. So Dr. Droom, uh, he headed to Tibet to help cure an ancient llama. But once he arrived, he learned that he would be paid no money for his medical services. He could not let a sick man die, so he pressed on even as he met a number of other challenges. When you say llama, obviously we're not talking about the animal then, right? The Dalai Lama. Like the okay. Dalai Lama. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought the same thing. You said a llama. The Dalai Lama himself. The 12th son of the Lama. The flowing robes, the grace, bald, striking. And I was like, like a random llama? Okay, yeah, the Dalai Lama. An, an ancient, just, an ancient he's llama. He's flying yes. to Tibet? As a veterinarian, like Jesus, man, I'd be pissed if I didn't get paid too. God damn. Yeah, also, I'm a huge fan of the uniquely like American story of like he was he was not paid for his medical services. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's great. Okay, so uh, when he reached the llama, the llama, uh, when he reached the llama, he had proven himself worthy of taking over the responsibilities of the llama mm. as the protector of Earth. From the magical forces of evil. So that's what a llama does. Okay. So in order to get to him, apparently it was so hard that he proved himself worthy of all of protector of earth. Okay. Just by wow. getting there. So he gets there. He's now protector of earth from the magical forces of evil. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets good. He accepted the assignment and then transformed into an Asian man. Come again. Oh, what? what? <laughs> What? Okay. Well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so some people will turn into like, have like a super suit of green energy or something, mm-hmm. but yep. he just turned into an Asian guy. Yep. That's okay. actually, that's actually such like, a, that's such a 50s thing to do is like, yeah. is like, that's incredible. It's very apropos. Do you see that picture? Right oh there? my God. <laughs> oh my God. No, no. It's, he's like, look at my, my eyes. They're becoming slanted what? and I've. A, a, a mustache. Like, oh Why my. does he have a mustache? How is that an Asian thing? I wonder. I wonder if this was like the OG race swapping scandal, and like hardcore Doctor <laughs> Drew, like hardcore Doctor Drew fans from his like first issue were like, "What? The character's always been white, like always." What? Like, and then it's like, and it's, oh like this episode, like issue two. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my god! What? A, what? A, that that animation is also pretty ghastly. Yeah, dude, for sure. That illustration is terrible. Um, oh my god! Just out of World War II, the xenophobia was strong. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So um, people forget that Mickey Rooney wore. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's called. I think it's called yellow face or Asian face. But yeah, yeah, face, in, yeah. In breakfast and was it breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah, horrible. Yeah. Dude, like the terrible. most dehumanizing. The, the teeth. The yeah. teeth. I mean, all of those movies, like uh, like Revenge of the Nerds, super problematic. Breakfast yeah. at Tiffany's. They're all they're all problematic. problematic in different ways, but I feel like I I feel like a lot of them are like problematic in like the like the way of their times. Like Revenge of the Nerds, like oh we're gonna spy on the girls and like and like you know do stuff like that. Like, that's bad, right? Like we know nowadays, like we wouldn't encourage our sons to do stuff like that. And I never did anything like that, but like maybe my dad did. Like who knows, right? And but like the 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 Asian face with like the teeth. So prosthetics bad. and, and the like accent, the, the terrible like, accent. Oh my god! Like, did they just not have the concept of like making fun of other people, like like of other races? That was like, that was peak crazy. comedy at the time. You know, it's like <laughs> racist Asian impressions were hilarious. 
Oh my god! I can see All why right. Doctor Droom did not make it in. I can see why he did not take off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not around anymore. All right, so <laughs> that's ridiculous, um, man. His super suit was an Asian man. An Asian man. No, no, he, no. He became the Asian man. He he's transformed. He's literally like permanently after that. Permanently, transcended. Oh, he's wow. transcended. That's what I mean. To be well, you know spiritually enlightened, you right. become Asian. That's... It's a very it's a very white person in the fifties thing to do. Is like that's very perfect. Much. Yeah, that's incredible. All right. So what's what's number five? We got. I mean, we should get a little sound okay. for this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we should. Yeah. Uh, I can always add it in post. But uh, black nice. condor. Black condor. Uh, young Richard Gray was the only survivor of an attack by Mongolian bandits upon his family who were archaeologists. Yeah, Mongolian the, bandits. Mongolian sure. bandits. The young lad was taken in then by a family of condors, just like Tarzan was taken in by apes. <laughs> After a while, young Richard wanted to fly like his new family, but, oh well, he wasn't a bird. Oh, Okay. <laughs> However, since this is the comics, he ultimately studied the birds so long <laughs> that he somehow managed to learn how to fly. No. Wow. No. Wow. <laughs> so stupid. Then he then went back to the States, and for one, one of the reasons he went back was to prevent the assassination of a U.S. senator. He was too late to save the senator, but as luck would have it, Condor was identical physically to the senator oh. and simply adopted the dead politician's identity going okay. forward. Sure. Highly unethical. Okay. Incredibly also, unethical. How did the Condors learn about this situation? I mean, did they look at the Condor News Network and they were like, oh, no, America. What? That's, yeah, it's a funny. Yeah, yeah. Going to going to race to prevent somebody to be assassinated. I love that he just takes his position like. Did he also sleep with the guy's wife? Like, well, like oh, you know, did he, did he go home to his kids? Like, you raise his children? Yep. Dad seems different now. I think I would probably notice something if my dad had been like the next five. He's approximately the same height and build. Fucking condors. I, I, so I'm not going to make an assumption here, but I'm guessing was was the character an African American character? Was the character a black character? Uh, no. Okay, that makes it slightly better because if it was just like a black guy who like replaced a black senator and no one could tell the difference, oh, yeah. he's definitely black. I knew it. I knew. I, I knew that just based on the last character in the in the era that this was written, I knew it had to be a situation where it's like, oh, this is great. What a great storyline. This random black dude is going to replace this random black senator, and no one is going to know the difference between these two people because they look so much alike. No, apparently. Okay, so apparently, I take, that, I take that back. He he was white, and then they made another black condor at some point that was black. But the original oh black God. condor here, here I'm going to show the screen again. You'll see this patriotic motherfucker is absolutely ridiculous. The black condor <laughs> by Lou Fine. Go to the, let me show show me the senator. I want to see the resemblance. Oh, the which one? The senator. <laughs> oh. the that he replaced. That he replaced. Black Condor Senator. Let's see if it comes up. <laughs> anything comes up here. Oh, see, because this is what that'd be this so is what funny. I was confused like, nah, about. He doesn't look anything like him. It's like an illustration from the fifties. I just love that it's like this guy is approximately the same height and build as Dad. Like he can take he can take it to school in the morning. This guy learned how to fly by just studying birds. It's amazing. 
Well, I'm glad. I'm glad it was at least the white characters. It felt. It felt like it was going in a darker direction. This no, cl- no pun. No pun intended. That this was bad. Clark uh, yeah. Kent looking motherfucker though. Look at that. It's just. Uh, why it's is this? Why does he have a haircut, bro? He has like a good haircut too, like, and he's what? clean shaven. He has. He's got like pomade in his hair. What's happening with this? Yeah, looks like the condors have a great hairstylist right here by the nest. The condors. They're just like yeah. puking up bile into his <laughs> hairline. He's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, who's who's number four? Number four no is Gen- Genius Jones. Genius Jones. Genius Jones. Yep. So young Johnny Jones was on boat on a boat with his uncle and a full crew when heavy storms tore the ship apart, killing everyone on the boat except for Johnny. Okay. So so he's kind of like a young Tom Hanks in Castaway. Wilson. Except when he got uh, on shore of this desert island, he washed up alongside. 734 books presumably from the ship's library none of them damaged so he's the only survivor and he's got 734 books he subsequently spent the next 10 years reading and rereading the books until he had them all memorized then when he saw a ship passing he burned the books as a signal he was rescued but he discovered that by reading all the books he was now a genius who knew the answer to any question and what year was this also what were the books that's just like 734 encyclopedias. Uh, n- 1942. 1942. Okay. So yeah, had, a lot of these are a thousand copies of the dictionary. That's actually really funny. I feel, I feel like in 19, 1942, there were probably like only like 900 books. 900 times. So, so, so it's like he has access to like a the 75% one. of the information ever created. Like, <laughs> yes. So yeah, when he, uh, he lacked a job once he returned to the United States. He uh, met some actors who set him up as a quote-unquote answer man. And for a dime, he'd answer anything you'd want to know. This is a comic book. This guy was a soup. He had a costume. I, I I mean, I guess you could do a lot of dimes, right? There's infinite. He's diamond. Infinite dime, and a dime back then is, you know, probably more like five bucks today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So his superpower is that he knew some a lot of trivia. He knew he a lot of stuff. Trivia. He was a tri- he was a trivia king. Well, somehow, yeah, seven hundred and thirty-four <laughs> books, memorizing them word for word, unlocked some sort of uh, uh, ability to know the answer to any question in wow. the, in the history of the world. Because that's what it said specifically. He could answer. I wonder how many question. copies that comic sold. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not that many. Help, they're robbing the bank. Did you know that in 1910? (laughs) Also, Genius Jones is a now defunct baby store in Miami. Yeah. In Miami, too. Wow. Wonder what. Do you think that they were going off of the comic book or uh, coincidence? I think it's probably coincidence. coincidence. All right. So, number three is Ultra Boy. Yeah, Ultra Boy was one of the most powerful members of the Legion of Superheroes, DC Comics. Oh, this is uh, before the Justice League, right? Uh, I think that it was a spinoff of the Justice League. Oh, okay. If I recall correctly. Uh, or it might have been right before. But he basically had all the same powers as Superboy, but the only the caveat was that he could only use one power at a time. That's so fucking funny. So if he wanted That's to be super so strong, he had to give up this uh, super invulnerability or vice versa. So when he first showed up, he only had <laughs> X-ray vision, and it was called Penetravision, and that was what it was labeled as. Makes sense. 
So he gained his powers when, while flying around space, he, uh, his speedster was swallowed whole by a giant ultra energy beast. Eventually, he was freed from the belly of the beast and discovered that radiation from its stomach had given him superpowers. What year was this made? Uh, this one's in the 50s as well. Oh, my God. This is essentially the parallel here is Ultra Boy's real name was Jonah, <clears throat> and Jonah got his got powers. Got swallowed by a whale. Exactly. So that's Ultra Boy. Brilliant uh, writing. Brilliant writing. Real original stuff here, Real folks. Uh, they were obsessed yeah. with radiation. Just radiation would give you any kind of power One, yeah. or whatever. From the 40s to the, the uh, well, especially post um, the atom bomb being dropped, it was the origin story for like every superhero for like 25 yeah. plus years. You know what I mean? It was just radiation, lightning, combination of the two. They don't even know what the fuck it does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we got uh, number two is... Bouncing boy. Bouncing boy. Okay. I'm right? excited to hear this <laughs> that's, one. It's a bad start. <laughs> so he had the ability he had the ability to bounce. To turn himself into a giant basketball <laughs> yeah. shaped bouncing thing. Uh very weird, you know, power, but the story is pretty good. So he was running an errand for a scientist. Chuck Tain is the the, the, the his real name, quote Tate. Oh. Oh, not taint, tain oh. with it, with it, with tainy with an E. I don't know. Either way. Um, so he's, he's running an errand for a scientist. So he's just a little errand boy. And uh, the, the scientist has developed a quote unquote super plastic fluid. For some reason, the super plastic fluid is in a glass Coke bottle. Yeah. All right. So Chuck gets distracted by a robot gladiator tournament at a local stadium and ends up in the stands yeah. watching two robots beat each other up with giant clubs. Obviously, who would not get distracted by that? Yep. Yep. And then, uh, you know, and watching it, he gets thirsty. So what does he do? He reaches oh. for a soda and ends up downing the super plastic fluid by mistake. He he openly says that it's horrible and tastes awful and continues to drink it. And then he turns into a giant bouncing boy. Wow. I, I feel like they, they must have paid homage to that a little bit in the Incredible Hulk from 08 when Stan Lee opens up the soda that has the Hulk's blood in it and uh, and takes a sip. Oh, uh, or it's just a coincidence. But that's really funny. That's that a that's funny. a yes. pretty basic pretty basic origin story. I drink a soda and now uh, I'm a basketball. <laughs> yeah. oh, but now now I bounce. You know, I just like, was I'm it a good soda? Not particularly. No, it tasted like actually shit. really awful. Yeah, yeah. tasted like ass. Yeah. Uh, was uh, Bouncing Boy Marvel, DC, or unaffiliated, or what was he? Uh, I want to say he was Marvel, but no. Nah, well, that lends check. credence to the um, Stan oh, Lee drinking the soda. Right, the crossover, uh, yeah. DC. No, no, DC. Oh, he was DC. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, su I'm, I'm surprised there's never been like a third comics company that's really been able to like burst through the superhero scene. I feel like Image, Image did a pretty good job. Image, yeah. With Spawn and stuff. Dark Horse is really big um, on the independent scene, and they're from Portland. So actually, my buddy lives pretty close to like oh, nice. their central locations. That's pretty cool. I but, guess uh, those are newer. Yeah, I don't read. I don't read them anymore. So this is a newer Dark Horse. Yeah, yep. They have a couple of stores here. Um, yeah, Dark Horse nice. is great. Um, so right. the, number one, number one, the, the last one is the Vagabond. The Vagabond. Okay. Facing he has the power to slip through towns without being noticed <laughs> so i was about to say like he has the power to like not 
be able to get enough of her down payment on an apartment. <laughs> this one I chose as number one because it just seems like really fucked up and also very possible. And it's just, it's, it's off. But his origin story is eviction. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, faced with an overwhelming crime wave, FBI agent Pat Murphy is given quote, free reign to work on it your own way end oh. quote by his oh. supervisors at the bureau and just what is his own way you might ask oh, no well that is dressing up like a homeless clown named chauncey throttlebottom the <laughs> third and okay. gets into bar fights okay the full extent of his plan that's it <laughs> that's the plan that's the plan a few things to keep in mind about this guy. First, Murphy doesn't just dress up as a homeless person, but rather he dress, dresses up as a clown that is also dressed as a clown version of a homeless person that also affects a faux upper class accent, including his battle cry, yoikes and tally ho. Oh my God. This is... It's like Jack wow. the Ripper meets Chris they Whittingham. They told the wrong it, man. Just, yeah, that, yeah. Jack uh, the Ripper meets Chris Whittingham is just Chris Whittingham. But apparently, yeah. he, he goes so far to keep his undercover role as to ask for a job from the bartender after he gets in a bar fight. Oh my god! Well, that is the lamest superhero origin story <laughs> slash power. <laughs> It's, it's not a soup. He's not a superhero. Not a that superhero. is a cop just... that has given carte blanche to beat people. I mean, but yeah. to be fair, that's how like nine out of 10 Bruce Willis movies go. So that's true. true. I mean, and that is that's like true. the Batman's wet dream, right? It's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't need the cop's opinion or like, so it's, it's so funny. The older you get, the more you realize how like, what are like a fascist, like dream most superhero movies are. It's yeah. just like, yeah. like, you know, somebody who has a perfect moral compass, like deciding who lives and who dies, like right. it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up. It's very fascistic, yeah. Because I mean, wouldn't uh, wouldn't a dictatorship be great if the dictator was just perfectly just and like just yeah. such a great guy all the time? I mean, so they do a pretty good job. They do a pretty good job with it in like Dubai and UAE. Like, yeah, benevolent dictatorship. But, I mean, not for immigrants and non-Emiratis, but <laughs> that's like, typically uh, how it works. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but or probably gay uh, people, or you know. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's a mixed bag, but yeah, benevolent dictatorship. It's a uh, definitely that's a superhero man. That's, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, is yeah. The benevolent dictator. What if what if the most powerful person on the planet was like the most moral, ethical, you know, just person on the planet too? That's, that's like, the that that's the dream. But, He's gonna be uh, more like bottle uh, throttle bottom over here. Yeah, I'm more like throttle bottom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do whatever you want, Frank. And he's like, I know exactly what to do. I know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I just, I love how all those movies. My, my uncle showed them a million of them. He has them like they're all on DVD, and he has them all like in his collection. And it's like, and it's like the law failed this man, so he took the law oh, yeah. into his own hands. And it was like they're, they're literally they'll make like three of those every year, and they crush with the same demographic like every single time. Um, and uh, some of them are entertaining. Law-abiding citizen, I thought was pretty entertaining. But other than that, haven't been that many good ones. Yep, the libertarian wet dream. Yeah, the libertarian wet dream is more like uh, Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. Oh god, that's like the uh, yeah. Missed, Have you guys seen that, that movie? one conveniently? No, it's actually it's actually great. It's actually a really good movie, so I'd highly recommend it. Um, but uh, 
yeah, basically, long story short is that uh, he, Mark Wahlberg is like an ex uh, sniper who has to fix an injustice, let's say, in the political system. So that's as vague as I can be without spoiling anything. It's a really, really good movie. I definitely watch it. Uh, yeah, uh, another one that kind of reminds me of that, it's vaguely in that vein, is The Accountant, the Ben Affleck yeah, movie. Yeah, the account, yeah, The Accountant, and there's a, a few of them. I'm I'm taking it into my own hands. <laughs> I am I am the law. Oh, Rob disappeared, yeah. and he's we out. We lost Rob. He'll be back. I wanted to ask you. I, I got a couple more questions for you here. Um, so sure. One regular segment that I want to start launching here, or or at least asking guests when they come on, is I li- I like to call it the breaking point. It's a world, you know, in a world where like we can always have our moral stances and things like that. And it's just ever, it's like almost impossible to, to stand on those grounds more often than not, depending on, you know, where your morality stands. But are there any points in which that, um, you are conscious of you allowing your moral compass to be ignored when you make a decision? So for me, it's like, there are a couple examples that I can come up with off the top of the head is there's a lot of people that are like, oh, Chick-fil-A, they're a horrible company but I have a gay friend who likes their chicken. So that means their chicken's okay. And so I, you know, like I'm, I'm going to just like, I'll put, put that aside, you know, Nike's obviously a big one. A lot of people wear Nike, you know, and they have some questionable tactics, but at the same time, you know, maybe, you know, they do a lot of good things too. Um, and, That's a good but, question. That's a really good question. What, what's, what's yours in particular? For me, um, I was raised on, you know, my, my dad, single single father for uh you know between ages like five to seven or i mean i'm five to uh 12 and so there's just a lot of junk food a lot of fast food a lot of bad stuff like that so it is kind of a, a food thing for me but it's mcdonald's where like um in in learning all about mcdonald's as a company super horrible the way they run things the way they treat their employees everything about like the, the way that what they do to the real estate what they do to the environment everything about mcdonald's is kind of just like an awful thing that being said do i crave a big mac you know periodically you know i do i was part of it is because i was raised on that so that's like the nostalgia, nostalgia of the food. And a burger yeah no i got you I, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about i don't i don't succumb to the fast food stuff very much um so i actually have two in particular that keep me up at night like one is flying like flying is very bad for your, for your carbon footprint. And I tend to fly a lot for work. Um, it's one of the reasons that I really just like, I hate billionaires as much as the next leftist. And I, I think that, uh, they, you know, should be taxed into oblivion, um, before a single person skips a meal. Um, but I will say that like, I hate when people are like, Oh, like Bill Gates took a private jet. Like what a hypocrite on climate change, or, like whatever it is. And I'm like, just like one of the worst things, like one of the most bad faith arguments that you can do. Like people travel, people fly, like flying commercials, a huge amount of carbon footprint as well. Um, cruise lines are enormous amounts of carbon footprint. So I do try to avoid cruises. I haven't been on one in a very long time. Um, not since I was a kid in Florida, um, a teenager in Florida. Um, so that flying is the one where I definitely trade off my morals for convenience and necessity. And then, uh, also, uh, I like, if I ever ran for office and I ever got elected, one of the things that I would run on would be like a two year, um, deep sea commercial fishing moratorium. And you'd have to set up like alternate 
supply chain and you have to figure out like how to how to get food to the four billion people who rely on seafood as their daily food source and you have to make sure you don't threaten those lines but i'm talking about like dredging and you know other really really nefarious uh deep sea fishing practices um and so all of us should eat as if you don't depend on seafood as your like core food source you should not eat seafood because it is like one of the worst things that we can do for our planet is eating seafood um and yet i will i had shrimp last night and i've gone on binges where i've had like no seafood for four months six months like i've like done hard stops and then you know i'll i'll break down and i'll have i'll have some you know tuna or something like that and um but yeah that's one where like my morals really run up against it because there's really no no good reason to be eating fish if you don't have to aside from health benefits and preference um and even the health benefits now fish have so much damn mercury and chemicals and and everything in them that it's not even really healthy to eat fish anymore either uh and i would never eat an octopus that's something i did like once and it's like very like looking back like somewhat traumatizing like so and and then like but a lot of people would say like a lot of animals are are incredibly intelligent and so i think eating animals in general is also one where i get very very like i like pause and like be like what am i doing like i shouldn't i shouldn't be doing this yeah it's definitely tough i uh i went into i was uh, i you know, I was getting out of, uh, I was in, um, kitchens, great transition by me, very stutter heavy. Um, <laughs> so I was in fuck. kitchens for a long time. Didn't want to be in kitchens anymore. Went back to school. Um, so I was going in school and I was in a class and we watched like the Leonardo DiCaprio documentary on the beef industry. Right. right. And I, you know, and I was like, oh man, I need to stop eating beef. And within two months later I had helped start a very large, uh, burger company <laughs> in Portland. Like, you know, just because it was like, I, you know, the, the opportunity fell through and then all of a sudden you kind of forget about it. And then a couple months down the line, you're just like, oh, I am the problem here. Uh, people <laughs> make trade-offs all, all the time for their, oh, own yeah. economic ben- all, their own economic benefit. And it's like, and that's the thing is like, you, you know, you have to have, you know, policies in place that like, you know, uh, encourage people to, to do the right decisions. But if the, you know, if the decision is like, don't start a business or like start a, start a business that, you know, does something that's slightly negative. Like, you know, if if you don't have enough options then people are going to choose the morally compromised position. So I think, I think that's what I love about like what I truly, I try to live my life is just like doing it as imperfectly as I can, but like still making effort. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like put solar panels on my home. Uh, I try to avoid flying unnecessarily. Like I'll stay in places longer you know, like if I'm going to go to Florida to see my family, I'll go for like a whole month or two instead of, you know, just coming in for a weekend or something like that and a quick turnaround. But, uh, but yeah, it's, there's, I mean, there's compromises every day that we all make and until you get policy, it's not really going to be up to the individual to, to make every little change. But yeah. Like I know it's bad, but I need to do cocaine. Can you even hear me? <laughs> Am I even like on here? My, my yeah, internet connection you. is so bad. <laughs> Yeah, we heard, we heard you. I'm yeah, just trying to a, disrupt a, the situation, okay, and interrupt with unhelpful. It's a trade-off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob, I had something, and then you yeah, derailed me. You Good. son of a bitch Good. with your cocaine talk. I don't want you to remember at all. I don't want you to remember anything. Be 
for now. That's what I call Emotional Repression Volume 40. Packed to the gills with today's sexiest and anachronistically hot new superstars into one all-new Power Pack Collection. Enhance your commute home with the best songs that repress emotionality. With songs like the smash hit sensation Don't Cry Out Loud by Melissa Manchester. Don't cry out loud Just keep it inside Learn how to hide your feelings Now you can have all your favorite hits about curbing your feelings in order to appear strong right here, right now. Chart toppers from artists like Melissa Manchester, The Cure, Fergie, and more. The smash hit sensation, Big Girls Don't Cry by The Four Seasons. Now! Delivers nothing but the most repressed of hits that you yearn for. But to get them, call the number on your screen. There's never been a music collection with the ability to gaslight yourself quite like this before. Until now! The classic, I Stand Alone by Steve Barrett. Like every tree stands on its own Reaching for the sky, I stand alone I share my world with no one else All by myself, I stand alone Available now on Laserdisc 8-Track and on the Sega CD to order, call the number on your screen or fax one cubic foot of dried fennel, plus shipping and handling. Must be dead or older to call. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to talk about drugs at all, but like, I would recommend for anyone listening, if uh, if they have someone who suffers in their family from cluster headaches, that mushrooms is a really wonderful cure for a lot of people. Huh. Um, just something I try to work into a lot of the podcast interviews I do. I've seen it. I've seen psilocybin cure cluster headaches, and a lot of people aren't familiar with that. And a lot of us know somebody who suffers from cluster headaches. So, yeah, well, God damn. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan um, of alternate uh, medicines, and I have been for a long time. Uh, you know, I managed to avoid COVID this whole time, and my partner's got it multiple times. I think two or three. You know, we live in we live in the same house. I like to attribute that to the marijuana that I consume. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's not. Um, you know, I understand blood types are different. You know what I mean? And and COVID seems to uh, go after certain blood types and stuff like that. And mine happens to not be one of them, but whatever the case is, um, I'm going to just attribute it to the drugs. <laughs> hey, whatever helps you keep on keeping on, baby. Yeah, you know, just exactly. Yeah. And I mean, uh, there's, you know, great therapeutic, um, you know, uh, uh, usages for ketamine, for psilocybin, MDMA, for MDMA, yeah. MDMA. Um, I had a, a very interesting experience where me and a friend, this is like just out of high school, we were like best friends in high school. And then we had like a big separation and we weren't like, you know, just a lot of tension in between us. We ended up both doing Molly one time and just like having the greatest heart to heart ever. And just like, man, I love you. You know, I love you too. And it was just like, oh, this is why they use it in marriage counseling because like, you're not a, you, like, it doesn't feel bad to express yourself. It like feels good. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm expressing Oh yeah, yeah. I think, I think everyone should do psychedelics with their partner. I think that if you're not, then you're missing out on a really incredible bonding opportunity because I feel a lot of like love for my family and my upbringing. Um, when I, when I will trip or do something like that occasionally. And, uh, I would love to share that like 
that feeling in that moment with them. So, really yeah, beautiful. I don't know. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. I like destigmatizing some of this stuff because, you know, in Colorado, we just legalized psilocybin and, you know, it sucks because everything is very black and white in terms of it's, you know, it's labeled schedule one or it's labeled schedule two, or, you know, it's in the same category as, you know, something like a heroin, mm-hmm. which, you know, is obviously really bad for you, but I don't want to, you know, hate on people for, for having, ha- having bad habits or, or addictions, but you know, like, uh, I, I just think that like a lot more discussion needs to be had, like more openly around, yeah. around drug legalization for, especially for things that are therapeutic. Yeah. Um, and I've seen people have like depression breakthroughs mm-hmm. on psilocybin on acid. Um, I've seen people have like just incredibly incredible introspection and learning about themselves. Again, like I said, I've seen cluster headaches cured, um, which is like a, a disease that a, people who have it have a 20 times higher suicide rate than the national average. Oof. And, uh, you know, if this is something that can be a cure, like it should be everywhere. And so I'm really excited about in Colorado, we're about to have these facilities that offer uh, psilocybin treatment. I know in Oregon, they, they, uh, are, they, think they already have those or they're setting them up as well. I think they're setting them up. Yeah. 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 It's going to help. It's going to save a lot of lives. It's going to help so many people heal everything from PTSD to early life trauma. Um, it's going to be a wonderful thing for society. And, and I think that's why it's been illegal for so long because it is so, so damn helpful for people. Um, yeah, which is, is like a, you know, bizarre thing to say, but just remember that Nixon was the one who, uh, really pushed the war on drugs and that should really tell you where you should land on the issue. Yeah. If I learned anything from Nixon, it is that if they tell, if he tells you he's not a crook, it means he's a crook. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those things where like more often than not, they're going to tell you what they are. If he, plead, if he pleads guilty of 34 counts of felonies, then, you know, or not guilty, then he's probably guilty. Yeah. He smel- he who smelt it, dealt it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah politically keep speaking. Roger Stone out of fucking politics too. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dude, I love, I posted something yesterday to uh, Twitter and thing I can't remember. And it was like, you know, Trump, Trump just got arrested yesterday, right? He got arraigned. And, and I, I posted, I was like, just a reminder, like it's, it's legal to cheat on your wife, legal to cheat on your wife with a porn star, legal to cheat on your wife with a porn star, and then bribe the porn star with hush money. It's legal to cheat on your wife with a porn star, then bribe the porn star with hush money, even if that hush money comes from campaign funds. But it's not legal to cheat on your wife with a porn star and then bribe the porn star with hush money and use campaign funds if you do not disclose the use of those campaign funds for that purpose and you then pay your attorney $420,000 as a reward for legal services not rendered and you falsify those financial documents with the state. Uh-oh, somebody hates America. Somebody yeah, hates exactly, America. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, yeah. This is so, a patriotic <laughs> podcast here. I'm just saying, and even still, the statute of limitations is only five years, so he's probably going to get off just fine. But uh, Well, Trump but, didn't yeah. do it. And even if he did do it, that's even not even that big of a deal. So I mean, what's know, the big deal? Uh, what's the big okay. deal? Yeah, exactly. Oh, everybody does it. Everybody does these things. And even Everyone if it this. is a big deal, it still shouldn't <laughs> matter. So. I mean, yeah, I bribe, you know, porn stars once every two weeks. You know, this is, <laughs> I'm not even do. doing anything and I'm still bribing people. I'm well, not just, doing anything. Why not? Else. Hey, you want some money? Yeah, I'll take <laughs> if you keep your mouth shut. I love the the and I don't I don't particularly hate on people for being uh conservative even though I'm you know I'm a I'm a big old lefty. I I I my mom's conservative. I have wonderful conservative people in my family, friends like 
I'm, I had a divided dinner table growing up, so I'm very comfortable with, with, uh, conversation, like com- political conversations. Um, I do really enjoy though, how, when I talk to people over the years, their positions tend to do exactly what Rob just did as it changes to, for example, climate change. It was like, there is no climate change. And then it's like, okay, well, like the climate's changing, but like, we don't know if people are causing it. And it's like, okay, we know that people are causing it, but it's not as bad as we think. And now we're at, okay, it's as bad as we thought, but actually it can be a good thing. And like, and that's, and like that's my gone. favorite talking point is Alex Jones saying that actually it's a good thing. We're terraforming our planet because if we hadn't put out so much CO2, the planet would be so cold. We'd go through another ice age. I hope there are some, I hope there are some oh conservatives God. who listen to Tucker being like, maybe it's a good thing for Canada and Russia or like <laughs> who listen to Alex Jones be like, we're terraforming the planet. And I hope that at some point, some of them click to be like, wait a minute. For the last 25 years, you've been telling me every day that this is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. And it now you're telling happen. me that we're doing large-scale terraforming that's going to move the breadbasket from the Midwest of America up into the mid-Canada region. And now you want me to think that that's a good thing? Right. Like, I, just, I just want somebody's brain to click on that. And I'm sure that some people are. My father-in-law has been doing, like, environmental work and uh... – he was in city council here in Everett and he's been doing a lot of work on that, publishing a lot of articles and stuff. And his opinion is that now we're getting to the point where in 30 years, the situation is going to be so dire that it's actually going to cost money to banks and like financial institutions. And so now something might get done because they are, they're always projecting like 30 years out, you know, and in 30 years, things are going to be fucked. So it's going to be more expensive not to start doing something. And like that's so depressing. Just know? wait, just wait, waiting until the penultimate moment. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm good friends out in Denver with a guy, one of the co-writers of Don't Look Up. Um, mm. And uh, that, that gonna, movie is, is like a horror movie. How per, it's the Idiocracy so 2.0. Good. You know what I mean? It's, it's, the, it, it, it's the new Idiocracy, and it's so so good. And so his name's uh, David Sorotti. He's a phenomenal journalist, uh, anti-corruption yeah. journalist, climate change journalist. Um, and, uh, he, I sort of got this guy, he's totally gray. He's like 46 years old. He's, he's white as snow oh, because no. the shit been thinking like, too hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, no, he, he like looks at this stuff every day and he's like, he's so frustrated with the Trump stuff right now because it's like, it's just wall to wall coverage. And he's yeah. like, it would be nice if we had wall to wall coverage of the collapsing ice sheet, or if we had wall to wall coverage of, you know, the, the Pakistan floods, or if we, you know, like, and, and we just don't have anything like that. And I, I've, I've started to, I want to start making more content around this stuff to make it more to, to do my part, um, you know, with S and G, but, uh, it's also difficult to find the time to devote to it. But yeah, my, my mom, I love her. I hope she didn't see this clip, but she left she left me a nice little climate denial uh, piece of newspaper today from a, a fake news outlet called the Epic Times. Oh God! Um, the Epic and, Times. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I remember uh, like my my sense of bullshit meter is more developed in a sense of like I you know five years ago I saw their YouTube ads right, and their founder or whatever is like he's like 
30 minutes ago, like our Hong Kong headquarters was attacked because like we're printing the truth about the communist Chinese party. And like the, and it's like this clearly fake closed circuit video of like somebody like running around a factory, like banging on machines with like a pipe or something like that, like printing machines. Mm -hmm. And I, you just immediately as like someone who's discerning, you're just like, okay, that is clearly just an advertisement that they're making to bait people who hate communism, hate China, to subscribe to their newsletter, their online newsletter. It is newsletter. so upsetting how hard it is for people to see through con men nowadays. It's That's so easy. That yeah, for is me, such it, an obvious... It's crystal like, clear. Like, it's, yeah, like, it, yeah it, it, and it's just... And I know how YouTube advertising works. I, I know how digital advertising works. I know what they're doing. I know how they're trying to elicit an emotional response to make a suggestion, to take an action. Like, it's very, you know, it's, it's very easy. Yeah. And, and you know, then a few years later, I see that shit in print on, you know, my parents' kitchen table. I'm like, who's, who's the fucking newspaper is this? And my mom's like, oh, I really like that paper. They write, you know, they write, um, you know, good stuff. And she wrote me this, she gave me this thing today, you know, it's all this climate denial. And it's like climate, uh, scientists make new predictions, comma, are hampered by decades of failed predictions. And then it's just like three decades of what they would call failed predictions. Of course, there's multiple logical fallacies in this, right? One is that there's a go- there's there's this body, the IFCC, and they have come out with their predictions for what's going to happen in the next 20 or 30 years in terms of temperature rise based on trends, based on all these different things. And the 30 examples they have over the last 100 years of predictions going wrong are by this opinion piece 50 years ago, this senator 40 years ago, right. this new this newspaper in Australia, this newspaper in London, never addressing the report, the claim, or anything like that. It's just cherry-picking all these things that either didn't come true or came true in a different way or even came true but not in a 100% totality way. So, for example, one of the one – the, the, I'm going to make a video on this on TikTok. I have to. But one of the examples was like this Australian newspaper asked, will there be in 2020, will there be snow in Australia in the future? And the answer, their answer in the newspaper was 2021 and 2022 had very average snowfalls in Australia. And I'm like, okay, well, first off, that's dumb, right? Because like taking two years of sample size does not discredit the question of will rising temperatures eliminate snowfall in certain parts of South Australia or North Australia. And two, if you actually look at the places in Australia that have get, that get the most snowfall since 1954, they're receiving an average of about 30% less mm-hmm. over the last, over the last, uh, you know, 70 years. And you can actually, you can actually look that up and see that, but the author of this piece is not interested in that they're just interested mm-hmm. in climate denial. And these, these are the type of things that, like, when some people read something, they their brain produces the right questions to follow up on, okay, but but I don't think that that's fair or I don't think that that's relevant to the point that you're trying to make back here in discrediting this report. And and anyway, I'm now I'm just going on a rant, but, like, I, got a, I have a newspaper and I have a Sharpie and I'm, like, going through it and, <laughs> and writing everything down. Yeah, that would be so. a really good TikTok to make. I mean, that's it's not like it's really going to help. But there are some people, I'm sure, that are on the fence or kind of credulous that 
if you I always try to keep that in mind. Yeah, if you debunk this stuff. I mean, the people who are hardcore into it, like, I don't know if it would change your mom's mind, but maybe, I mean. My mom's very reasonable, and, and we have great discussions, and I really love to chat with her, but it's just like, I talk to her every week or so, and when I visit, I visit every month or two, um, and she gets this newspaper every day, and right, she right, gets right. the phone, the phone, and it's really frustrating because they're just propagandizing your family yeah. every day. And, and it's, that's it's, what it it's, is. It's propaganda for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And your friends and like, and yeah, but you know, but at the same time, it is sparks good conversation. So at least that, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. It reminds me of like anti-vax claims where it's like, well, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the vaccine doesn't, uh, get rid of COVID 100%. It doesn't totally wipe it out. And it's like, well, who was making that claim that it would, though? You know, that's like the yeah. snowfall thing. It's like if there's a decrease in snowfall, maybe that's what they were talking about. The other thing is, why are like all these editorials being like, are they part of a scientific institution? Do they have expertise? I mean, like, why are they? You know, <laughs> just, opinion, just opinion pieces. They're just yeah. opinion pieces. Yeah, why should they be pieces. taken as gospel? Like, of course, yeah. they're wrong now, like 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah, there, you know, Dan, Dan talks about this on the show a lot, actually, Colin, which is like, uh, Rob, I don't know if you listen to the Levitard show. Uh, I assume that you do, but I don't know if you do. Um, you know, I'm I'm not a huge listener, but Colin's gotten me into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but they, they they talk about the death of expertise. Mm. Um, you know, they talk about how you know the war on intelligentsia. They, you know, and it and it truly is like, and, and I I used to think it wasn't so nefarious. I used to think it was mostly profit motive driving a lot of these decisions to like criticize certain people or not criticize certain people but now i'm much more on the side of like no actually it is it does seem like a concerted disinformation misinformation campaign that's more power and and narrative driven in terms of like what the change that they want to see in the world Mm -hmm. um you know they being people like tucker carlson or you know rupert murdoch and whoever is that behind those guys well i think i think that the fox lawsuit the dominion lawsuit has been a really interesting light shined on you know it's not just profit motive like i i straight up used to i i'm a i'm a guy who owns a company like i I believe in profit motive. I believe in the free market. And I used to just think like these are bad actors with, you know, the, the invisible hand taken to the extreme. And they're just trying to make as much money as they can off of people's ignorance and fear. And now I'm like, Oh no, actually he's an ideologue and, and they're all, and they're all ideologues. And I didn't, I didn't realize how many people out there are actually ideologues. Yeah. Fucking a man! I've been uh, really nerding out over this Alex Jones podcast, where they deep dive. Are you guys hearing me? My internet. Sorry, you you broke up. You broke up, Rob. Yeah, repeat that. You. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. When I start to talk. uh, Oh, the glitch! The glitch! Can you hear me right now? It's frozen in a good pose, though. Yeah, I screenshotted that one. one That's a good one. Let's go up on the Discord. What about (laughs) you? Said something about Alex Jones podcast. Yes, I've been nerding out on the Alex Jones podcast, uh, Deep Dive podcast. It's called uh, The Knowledge Fight, which is genius. Anyway, they go over each episode of Alex Jones, and they go through all oh, of the guests. Oh, it's torture. It's torture. How I, could you well, do that to yourself? It, I don't do it. He does it. The host does it to himself, which is great. I don't have to do that because <laughs> he does all the work. Um, 
so he goes through all the guests and everybody who's on and he has a lot of like Alexander Dugan is this uh guy who advises Putin okay and he's been a guest many times on Alex Jones Alex Jones has been on Russian state television many times being lauded as like the greatest American and a lot of what Alex Jones is propagandizing is like kind of leading the charge for the rest of these America first type of guys. And a lot of it is coming straight, almost straight out of the fucking playbook of Alexander Dugan's uh, textbook that's taught in military schools about how to destabilize America and how to like, mm. destroy American hegemony. It's pretty fucking grim, actually. I don't know if that's what's happening, but that's my favorite pet theory at the moment is that all of these America first guys are actually trying to destroy any trust we have in any American institution. And we're being like co-opted by the, I think, I think that like some of like the media folks, like an Alex Jones or somebody like that would certainly fit that MO. I think a lot of people on the ground who would say America first or MAGA or just, you know, who would call themselves a conservative, I think that they like actually care and they actually like want to do what they think is the right thing. Yeah. I I think that there's like a, there's like a weird, and I don't know how to say this without coming across as condescending. And I'm, I'm an unaffiliated voter. I'm not a Democrat. Like I said, I'm a lefty, but that means that I hate Democrats. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we're, we're both in the same boat as that. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, I I want free healthcare, free college, free kindergarten, free family leave, um, you know, maternity leave, like uh, you know, uh, ending the drug war, all the um, logical things, all the things that make sense for humans, the things that would stabilize the fucking <laughs> country we live. I think in, I things things that I think are generally good things to do, um, and modern things to do, um, but uh, you know, and I think that a lot of people actually in my family find a lot of common ground with me on those things. The culture war, though, they're they're fairly all in on, and that's the hard, that's the really hard part for me to um, to transact on because I don't really personally care too much about the culture war and that's unfortunate right because i'm like a straight white guy i think you guys also fall into that camp you know i think that that's the hard the hard part for me is like i wish we were debating and talking about those issues and instead we're talking about like should we ban drag shows like you know like should we ban abortions and so the thing i was going to say that i think it's hard to like say without sounding condescending and i and i don't mean to insult anyone listening who's more right-leaning but I, and I think that they, the interesting thing is I think that they think the same thing about us, um, which is a really interesting phenomenon, but I think that there's some type of logic blocker or some type of A to B to C blocker. Um, maybe that's a better way to phrase it, where if I tell you that, Hey, outlawing abortions is going to have really, really, really easily predictable negative effects women are going to be forced to carry unviable fetuses the term some women aren't going to be able to get the health care they need during their pregnancy and will die like some some women who don't know they're pregnant who would have gotten an abortion because the baby has a deformity or a fatal flaw or a debilitating disease and you know most will, will suffocate a minute after it's born whatever it might be they will have to carry a fetus the term even though it's going to die minutes after it's born if I tell people that, they will all say, every one of them, I don't want that. And then I'll say, great. Well, the that is a 100% consequence of these laws passing. 
And they say, well, no, 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 there's exceptions for that. And I say, it doesn't matter. These hospitals are owned by hedge funds. The lawyers will not let their doctors perform procedures that they view as legally risky. You will not have doctors perform abortions, even if there are legal exceptions for them, if the doctor can go to jail or lose their license. And they follow all of that. They follow all of that. And still, when these really easily predictable things happen, they are shocked and don't know why it would happen. They're like, how could this happen? We ha-? And I'm like, I, I have explained this very, very, I think, clearly. And, and you know, I'm just shocked. And the people stand, there are people in Congress, people from South Carolina will stand up and they'll be like, they'll be like, I, I heard a story the other day about a woman who had the, who had a fetus with no skull and she, she couldn't get an abortion. And like, this is an outrage. This is like, not, not what I voted for. Like not what, and it's like, yes, you like, because it's such an easy, obvious consequence. And I just don't get it. And, and I feel, I feel bad saying that they don't have that like same, like A to B to C logic train. But I do think that there is some type of block in some people's brains from like, from making that third connection. Yeah. There's a, the, it's like the, the, it's an appeal to a nearsightedness, an appeal to hatred, an appeal to no emotion. You know what I mean? And so like if people are thinking through the filter of their emotion, they're manipulated so much easier. And so it seems like as the, the, the education system has been systematically decimated for decades, um, we've been watching the disappearance of constructive criticism. And, you know, now we're at a point where, you know, people can't, you know, follow a logical breadcrumb trail, just like all the philosophers and, and great minds, quote unquote, of, of yesteryear like to, to do, which, I you know, I have many problems about like the old philosophers and, and, and the way that they thought. But it's like there are, you know, uh, useful methods to the way that the thought process worked. And ultimately, it's critical thinking. And so now you're seeing it all disappeared and stuff like that. And so I think it's like a mixture of like the, the inability to critically think and also this, um, this confidence that people are good in their heart. You know what I mean? That everyone has, and maybe they are all good in their heart, but I think that is kind of separate from will all of their decisions be pure of heart. You know, I, I, I don't know if everyone is good in their heart. I think that everyone is the protagonist of their own story and everyone sees themselves as the main character, some people more than others. And that that can be its own problem. But like, I, I don't know, I, I, I really, I really struggle not like I, I with my, my mom and my, my family and my friends who I disagree with on some of these things in particular, it applies to, to a lot of different arguments. Like, you know, if you want to talk about healthcare, you know, I'll, I'll say like, Hey, which system is going to be, is going to have lower cost? a system with a middleman, private insurer siphoning profit from the doctor patient interaction or a system that just has doctor patient interactions. And they're like, probably the one that just has doctor patient interactions. And I'm like, right. Okay. So let's, we should, we should go build that system and like get, and like get rid of the middle, the middle profit or like, and then I'll, I'll be like, so what about free college? And then they'll say, well, not everybody needs to go to college, but that the propaganda line they're trained to, to spit out. And they'll say, not everybody needs to go to college. And the easy retort to that is like, doctors do, architects do, engineers do, 
like a like like we we need a lot of people like astrophysicists and we like we need people in our military technology departments to act in the dod to like stay want to build hypersonic missile defense against china like those people need to go to college and pound for pound if you have a system that punishes people for getting an education or if you have a system that rewards people for getting an education you will have a less educated society or more educated society you'll have less and fewer i should say fewer of those people or you'll have more of those people and i think that that's the thing that really interests me is like yes it is a truism that not everybody needs to go to college but which society would you rather live in one that punishes education or one that encourages education i think it's a really weird debate that even needs to be had because to me it's so fucking obvious that you'd rather have a, a, if you want to be globally competitive on whether an economic or geopolitical game level like you've got to have the smartest populace and we and, and meanwhile it's literally just like this like well maybe we actually need fewer people to go to college and it's like no like like it doesn't just because somebody goes to college doesn't mean they're not going to go to a trade school afterwards or like do something useful or be an electrician or whatever like it just means that we're getting more people in the top of the funnel to actually you know do these really higher level things that we need that we constantly need more and more of seems, seems like an easy, easy argument to me but i i it's i always lose people um because then they just go right back to like well i don't think everybody needs to go to college <laughs> I'm just like, okay Great. <laughs> We're fucked. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, well, okay. And apparently these people don't think that these kids need to go to, you know, elementary school uh, as well. Uh, well, know, that's the thing. is that, that, that's, that's what it's funny. That's the thing that always kills me is high school was not free until 1965. And I think that that's something that so few people know and forget is that literally like 60 years ago, high school was state by state, whether it was free or not. And then uh, Lyndon B. Johnson passed federal high school funding for everyone, guaranteeing an education from grades one through twelve. Wow! And I, I just don't understand. Also, the reticence to, or, or I don't understand the mental cutoff. Exactly what you just said, Colin, which is like, you know, why is twelfth grade the cutoff and the arbitrary cutoff? Why not fourteenth grade? Why not instead of first grade kindergarten? Why is that not the federal cutoff? Like it's so it's so interesting to me that we're having these debates. I think we're just gonna lose Rob. Rob, <laughs> he fades off into the distance. Oh. <laughs> I think I gotta right. go, man. It's not even working. Can you even hear me right now? Is I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. Well, have yeah. you thought about this? We need to fill our prisons, okay? And we need a lot of desperate workers who are willing to work for almost nothing at all. How are we going to keep those people if everyone's educated? We'll be in big trouble. That's yeah, a, we'll be in big trouble, dude. Another hating America all day. Rob has a, uh, I know that Rob has a um, business pitch for you while you're here. Yeah. All right. I'm ready for it. I do this all the time. I was just at Emory Ooh. University this week judging the students' uh, pitch competition. So I'm okay. fresh off of that. God, I'm so nervous now. I didn't have a presentation put together. Ooh. Okay. Here's the Where's idea. your PowerPoint? Where's your turtleneck? A snack company called Meats and Vittles. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Huh? Organic snacks, you know? Like yeah, I'm in. Beef jerky and nuts. 
and meat corn and vittles. Something. That's really funny. That's really good. I like that a lot. I was thinking about doing a scuba company called uh, Shits and Goggles. And then I and then I would want to do an apparel company called Shirts and Giggles. Oh yeah. Yep. Um yeah, and then I want to open up a bar at night called Shots and Giggles. Oh fuck. Uh, which by the way, I did not steal from the movie Beer Fest, but it, it is it is in actually the Beer Fest one is Schnitz and Giggles. Yes. Is the Yep. Is the bar. Yeah, Schnitz yeah, and I Giggles. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I rewatched that the other day and I was like, what? Like <laughs> Maybe that was like in my subconscious. Yep. Yeah. That's very possible. Uh, let's see. You could do shots and gaggles and it could be like specifically for uh, you know, like uh, bridesmaids, uh, you know. Oh, I was thinking uh, like gaggles of geese. So Same. It's I, was like... thinking, I was thinking like, like, like shots and gaggles would be like a hunting range for geese. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 You get drunk yeah. and shoot geese. I don't know if that goes with your, your <laughs> brand image, but you know. No, no. Well, we... We, we we have 100 percent vegan vegan products. Yeah, no animals, no animals in our products. No no goose down in our comforters. Yeah, get your yeah. Uh, your completely vegan sheets and then kill a <laughs> defenseless animal. <laughs> not 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 the brand it's voice. No, that is not the yeah. no, it's not the brand, not the brand. I've heard opposites attract. You know what I mean? Yeah, We've got exactly. something for you here. And you're pushing people who are prone to killing things into the direction of like organic vegan. Uh, Stepping stones. So you're saying small, small victories, yeah, small, victories. small steps. Sometimes small steps. you got to do a, a big evil to do a little good. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes. So I'm guessing that uh, the the Levitard show was maybe, if not your dream sponsor, yeah. you know, one of your dream sponsors to have. So at this point, now that you have you've landed the Levitard show, you're sponsored with them. You're you know doing fantastic as a sheets company. I was curious, what is your dream company that you want to sponsor at this point? Well, we just got, we, now we're actually, we're proud sponsors of the Greg Cody show with Greg Cody. Ah, so, uh, so we, yeah, yeah, exactly. So now we are, uh, we're, we're now sponsoring two of my dream podcasts. Um, hell yeah. I, hell yeah. And you know it. And you know it. So now I'm sponsoring John Jonathan Zaslow, who is somebody I grew up listening to on five on seven ninety and five sixty AM down here in Fort Lauderdale. Hell yeah! So that's really that's really fun. We sponsor Jason Jackson, the radio host of the Miami Heat, who I grew up watching do Heat games uh, in two thousands. So um, it's been really really fun for me to like meet people that I've watched and respected and listened to for a very long time. Um, I sponsor Ryan George, who's the guy who does the pitch meetings on YouTube, where he's the producer and the writer, and they're going back and forth. Love those. I think those are the funniest things on YouTube. Um, oh, is he, like, is he the comedian that does the uh, like stuff for trailers and stuff? Is that the one? He doesn't do the honest trailers, but he does the pitch meeting where he's okay. like, okay, okay, he's like, so you have a movie for me? Like, yes, sir, I do. Like, it's you know, and I think it's the perfect vehicle for Keanu Reeves to get back in the martial arts. And he's like, "Oh no, this is a movie studio, not a car company. Like you, you're the wrong, the wrong place." It's, it's, it's he does. He's got really good bits. Super clever, Ryan George. Look him, look him up. So we sponsor him. Hell yeah. Um, I love sponsoring people that I'm a fan of personally, mm-hmm. um, and the people that I have a connection to because it is really meaningful for me to be able to support people that I think are are doing great things. We sponsor David Sirota. And his journalism, I've been reading that. Like, like I, I would say that I have a lot of my dream sponsorships already. Like, like Sirota, hmm. I, I used to read his stuff when I was 20, 12 years ago. 
um, in this very bedroom, right? I'm, I'm at home in Fort Lauderdale in my childhood bedroom. Um, and I literally would, uh, go on my iPad, go on the flipboard and I'd scroll around and I found these, this rag called salon, um, which is not a rag anymore. I mean, it's maybe it was more of a rag than it used to be. I don't really read it anymore, but, and, and there were these two writers, David Sirota and Glenn Greenwald who worked at salon in 2010. Um, and they both in 2010, 2011, and they both wrote with an absolute scalpel. And I just remember thinking like I was very far right at the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, like I finally found a couple liberal writers who are left wing writers who I can read, who are very entertaining to read and who, you know, are people that I can learn more about what the left believes, um, in an entertaining and a very like well-written way. And over the course of like several years, just reading their stuff day in and day out, Sirota and Greenwald, Sirota and Greenwald. And unfortunately, Greenwald's kind of got off the deep end nowadays with his, his hatred has kind of consumed him. He's like a, like a Sith. Feel really bad for the guy actually, because he's had a really tough, tough life, um, with his anti-corruption and anti, anti-government reporting, anti-establishment reporting. Um, but, uh, you know, to sponsor Sirota, someone who over the years has had a huge impact on like me and my politics and how I view the world. That's really fun for me. Um, Adam McKay sleeps on our sheets. I, I think he's tweeted about him. Um, Mike sure sleeps on our sheets, I believe. Uh, you know, he's tweeted about him. I'm pretty sure Ricky Williams sleeps on our sheets. So like that was another, some person I learned a lot growing up mm-hmm. or like from him and, um, we have so many people, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's like the next one on my list, but it will probably, there's a, there's a YouTuber named Andrew Russo. Who's really, really funny, who I've got in my inbox that I have to get back to that. I would love to sponsor an upcoming video. He does great YouTube short and TikTok content that is also really well-written and really hilarious. So I like sponsoring people who are writers, people who can really write yeah. great content. Yeah, I uh, recently quit my job in kitchens, and uh, I was also working in a screen printing shop, and I was in school, and as of January, I quit all of that to try to pursue writing, and it's been a you know a hell of a grind uh, at this point. I'm four months in, still haven't had to get a job yet, so it's good. But um, I wrote my first stand-up special. Or, you know, first stand-up bit, like 20 minutes of comedy. Uh, I'm, I've got my first uh, short film that I that I was in production for a while. But point is, lots of stuff. Uh, writing is one of those things where I didn't really realize that I liked it. Because it's like, the concept of writing is you're doing it by yourself. And because of my uh, the way that I was raised, um, I was essentially forced into isolation for a good amount of time. So it took me a very long... Um, uh, uh, time to understand that I had been rebelling doing anything that involved just me in like a room by myself because I didn't want to do that because I was forced into it for a while when I was a kid. Hmm. And um, so as an adult, I was essentially being like, I'm going to be social. I'm going to do all these other things that I wasn't allowed to do when I was a kid. And then I'm 30 in my thirties now. And I'm like, Oh, I need to start acting like an adult that is trying to adapt and, and grow as a human. And rather than trying to do all the things that I wasn't allowed to do when I was a child. And so it, it's been a very interesting uh, growing point, but it, it's fun to kind of realize what, like, 
your passion is growing up. Because going back to that first question that I asked you, like what you wanted to be when you were growing up, um, for me, like it was, I think the only thing I really wanted to be was like a baseball player. Mm. And I don't think there was, I didn't really have any like intellectual passions. I had a lot of people telling me that I could be a good lawyer because I was always argue when I was a kid. <laughs> but no one ever told me that like I was funny or a good writer or anything like that. I never had like a supportive push towards any of those things. And then I ended up doing some poetry uh, classes at the start of high school. And then just out of high school, started uh, writing uh, hip hop. And then, That's so interesting. Yeah. And then made like 20 albums trying to essentially express a bunch of things I didn't know I was trying to express. But it was one of those things like my family had been gaslighting me for so long that I finally, you know, got out and I was like, I can record my own raps. I'm stoked. I can say whatever I want. I'm going to say whatever I want. I'm going to put it out into the world. And, ah, you know, I was like, just so much an anxious excitement. And, uh, you're, really the only, you're the only person I've seen that started a writing career after Chad GPT released. So <laughs> more, more, more power to you. It's, you know, I, this is my problem is that I, I get into businesses or, or ideas. It seems like right as they're dying. I mean, Hey, that's, that's a good, that's a good, you should text all your friends when you get into something so they can short the whole industry. <laughs> it's a good, no, 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 that's awesome, man. I'm, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. And it, writing is the hardest thing in the world. It's yeah. why movies, it's why a lot of movies suck. It's why joke telling is so hard. It's why stand up is so hard. It's why writing compelling marketing copy is so hard. Writing is fucking hard. Um, and everything, everything is copy and it depends on it. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm being flippant about chat GPT. It's been a useful tool, but it can't write. It's, it's still not writing very good copy. Um, no, but, it's good to edit, but, but it's great. It's great for a blank page problem. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I would love to hear your, your stand up at some point. If I'm never out in Portland, I'll have to, to give it a go. Yeah. The plan is to, um, go out to LA for a couple weeks, stay with my buddy, um, and, and just kind of go to like the comedy open mics as much as I can and, and try and just meet writers and stuff like that that way. But, um, yeah, that, that seems like the plan. Portland doesn't really have the best stand up scene. I still haven't gone out to any open mics here, but I mean, as far as like, it's a good testing ground though. It's a good testing ground. Um, I've heard so oh, open, oh, open mics are good and bad because I've been, I've done open mics mm -hmm. and, and the, they're fun because you can say whatever you want, but they're also tough because your audience is just other people waiting to do their material yeah, yeah. and, and re rehearsing it in their head. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So they're not listening. My um, favorite thing is when somebody decides to do therapy in front of everybody, you know what I mean? Like subject everybody to their like childhood trauma. There's like really I've no joke. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love it. I, I had such a trauma, a trauma free childhood for the most part. I'm always, I'm always so shocked when I hear about fucking trauma that people had in the childhood. You'll never make it as a stand-up comedian, Colin. Yeah, no, it, no, I'm just healthy. Yeah, you're, exactly. happy. you're a healthy person. Just Don't healthy, even try it. Yeah, I'm just well-adjusted and happy, and it's it's really weird. Yeah, I'm getting married next year. We found our we found our uh, venue yesterday in oh, Miami. Really, thank That's you. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a great venue, and uh, we're getting married next year. Actually, I think it's next year this Friday. This actually this Sunday. Yeah, so fuck yeah. Yeah, man. Have you ever been described as uh, off-puttingly positive before? Off-puttingly positive? No. <laughs> when uh, when I was when I was younger, like in my mid twenties, I'd say I was definitely a lot like louder, more aggressive, um, less like 
uh, less, less at ease with myself. Like, so I think that that like can definitely rub some people the wrong way where like you can be exhausting mm-hmm. for some people. Um, but no, no overwhelmingly positive or, or anything like that. Um, no, I get told a lot. That, so I was, it's funny. I was at Emory for this pitch. I was judging this pitch competition and I was, it was entrepreneurship week last week and I was helping the kids with their businesses and students and I'm one of the alumni illuminaries, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all laugh when they said that. As like, uh, yeah, I'm like 10 years out of school being late to class every day. And they're like, this is our <laughs> illuminary. Um, and uh, and so this, this woman that was there, she had started her own business too. She was the class. She graduated the year after me. I didn't know her in college. She had great, because a great business. And she... Uh, we were sitting down, we had, we had taken the Uber over from the hotel together to the to campus. And, uh, Emory also flew her in and also put her up at the hotel. And we were just chatting and uh, you know, we chatted for like 10 minutes and then we got out and we, we got, I got a drink at the welcome event and we sat down and we were just chatting on the steps and we were talking about our businesses and, you know, getting to know each other's businesses. And after like, I don't know, 10 minutes, she just kind of like stops and she's, she just goes, sorry to say, she's like, this is sorry to say, you're very, you're very open. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you're, you're just, you're, I can tell that you're just like not thinking about what you're saying. Like you're just like saying it. And I was like, do you think about what you say all the time before, before you say it? And she's like, yeah, when I'm meeting somebody new, I, you know, I, I measure my words and I make sure that I don't, I don't say the wrong thing or give too much away or and then i was just like oh i don't know like i was like i don't know <laughs> just, I, I, it's just it, and it's not like i don't i don't i'm not feel like probably proud of it or anything but like i do feel i have like this theory i told this is what i told her it's funny i said you know you know what i love about working for myself is people who work and and you'll find this out colin and, and rob i don't know if you know this but like i think people hate the commute not because of the drive or the traffic. I think they hate the commute because for 30 minutes, they're slowly becoming somebody else. They're slowly lowering this mask yeah. onto their face that they're going to have to wear for the next eight hours of their 100%. life. hundred percent. Um, and that's why the commute home is such, so wonderful. It's decompression. You're lifting that mask. And by the time you walk through the door, you are Colin again, you are you again. And I think like whether you're a waiter and you have to, you have to play the role of the waiter or you're, you know, the employer or the manager or the employee or the social media manager, or you're the engineer, the product manager, the CEO, um, you know, you are, there's so many different roles that we play for eight hours. And most people hate that role that they have to play. And for me, I, I find that to have been the most freeing thing in my life and the, and the most wonderful thing in my life is I haven't had to pretend to be anybody other than Colin for like eight years now since I got into startups um, and five and a half now since I started my own business. And I, I love it. Like it, it makes me yeah. a lot happier on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I recently just started my own thing and uh, it's amazing. Nice. Yeah, I Congratulations. agree. The masking is fucking exhausting, and yeah. uh, it's a terrible. Have, have you ever seen Severance, the show? No. Uh, it really like goes deep into that, where the whole uh, concept of the show is that somebody can get an operation in their brain that switches, like it basically splits them into two different people. So one oh, person is always at work 
100% of the time. And then the other person is always out of work 100% of the time. So they go into work and the minute they enter the, the workspace, they switch into this other. That's, little, that's like a Rick and Morty episode, basically. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, yeah, but it, it just versa. really like perfectly encapsulates what the working experience is, especially like, mo- you know, modern working experience. It's like you, yeah, you have to mask and be this other person that the company owns. Right. You got you to play politics. You got to say the right words. You're working yeah. for other people. You, you know, you can't sit, you can't upset people. You can't step on other people's toes, piss people off. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it's really interesting because I've always viewed work as like very straightforward. The company has a goal and that goal has been, should have been clearly communicated to everyone. And if that goal is clearly communicated to every team, the team has their goal then everybody on that team should be 100% on the same page in terms of like, this is the goal. Right. And no matter what arguments you get into or disagreements or whatever, they're all in the service of the goal. And there should be no interpersonal problems whatsoever. Not, Hey, I did all this work and now you're suggesting that we shouldn't use it. Okay. Well, why are you suggesting that we shouldn't use it? Is it because it doesn't further the goal? anymore and therefore we can just move on and do something better and do something different like people get upset when they lose sight of their goals and they get obsessed with their tasks and that's when you get a lot of interpersonal problems and strife is like people being very possessive Mm -hmm. over their like little subtask and not focusing on like the shared goal at the company and i think as long as everybody's had the same shared goal in mind I, t- I tell my team, talk to me exactly as if you would talk to your partner, your family, your best friend, like, do not, do not mince words. Don't hide things from me. Like, don't, you know, don't feel like I'm going to yell at you or like freak out at you. Like, just be honest, do your best. And like, your best is going to be good enough. Um, cause all I can ask. And, uh, yeah, I always, man, I, I was in this, um, um, I'm talking to another company right now about potentially um, helping them with some of their marketing on the side as like a, a side project. Um, and uh, you know, just so they, they called me and said, Hey, we're, we're in desperate need of some marketing advice. Can you, can you give us a hand? And I met with their, uh, the current head of marketing and that sort of thing. And I pulled up their website and it was like back in March and they had this Valentine's day message on their website. And I was like, I was like, oh my God. I was like, who, like, who's running the website that you got? And then the person was like, oh yeah, like I do that. But like, I've been so busy, like getting ready for like this thing that's launching into the month that like, I haven't had that time. And I'm like, I didn't accuse you or (laughs) like say that you're doing a bad job. I don't know anything about you or your job or anything like that. Like you, so you don't, don't feel the need to like, just start dropping like reasons and excuses. I'm just saying whoever owns this needs to open up their web, their computer right now and fix this before the meeting ends. Like, you know, like, that's, what, that's what I was saying is like, go, somebody go fix this problem. Not yeah, like, yeah. tell me why the problem exists, but like people, yeah. they, it, it reminded me of what it feels like to be in an organization right. where that's the tenor of conversation every day. And it is exhausting. I, I forgot how exhausting it is to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Accusatory and trying to pass the buck and like, <laughs> if there's a oh, problem, yeah. hey, just, I didn't do it. All, yeah. Okay, I don't it's know. All, who did it's it. all CYA. Yeah, it's all CYA stuff. Hey, yeah. By 
By the way, guys, my, my computer's on 3%, and we've been going for about two hours, so I do have oh. to call this in a, in a little bit. I apologize. I know it's kind of open-ended. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for giving so much of your time. Yeah. Is there anything else that you guys want to chat about before, before we hop? Plug whatever you need to plug, and then if you want, you can toss some advice to up-and-coming or, or people trying to start businesses in, a, in an ever-changing social media environment, because it seems like marketing <laughs> is, self-marketing <laughs> is harder and harder these days, especially with like Twitter just doing what they did and stuff, but that's a deep question. You don't have to just look a quick thing as you go out or whatever, if you want. Yeah. I think, uh, all I would say, so like, first off plugging sheets and giggles, like, uh, like for anyone listening, um, if you want to get a set of new eucalyptus sheets, they're literally softer than cotton. They're more breathable. They're cooling. They're temperature regulating. Um, they're sustainable. They use 96% less water than cotton, 30% less energy, no insecticides, no pesticides, no microplastics. Um, and, uh, you can get a set at sheetsgiggles.com and use code nostalgic, uh, for 20% off your order. Wow. This is yeah. going to be nostalgic. Is it nostalgic or nostalgic? Should I do, which one should I do? I'll do both uh, just in case you can do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do nostalgia. Uh, nostalgic. I'll set, I'll set up both. All right. Thank you. So that's my plug. Sheetsgiggles.com. Appreciate it. Um, in terms of like advice to, uh, entrepreneurs starting out, people starting their own businesses. Uh, the advice I gave to the kids last week is that the, risk is way lower than the reward for most of us uh considering starting a business you are probably smart capable hardworking, thoughtful kind um and if you are those things you believe yourself to be those things then your worst case scenario is probably that you're just going to go work a job somewhere else and if your worst case scenario is that you're just going to keep doing what you've been doing uh oh no <laughs> you know, like, 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 like what Touché. a privileged, wonderful position to be in, right? Where it's like your worst situation. And that's actually a really powerful thing to realize is that your worst case scenario is your current scenario. Um, and I think that that's something that people need to, to really keep in mind. So whereas your best case scenario is you get to travel the world, work your own schedule, have more time for your physical and mental health, have more money for your own enjoyment. You have more money to help other people. You become more known. You have more power. You're able to influence change, sponsor people that you think are doing good things in the world. Um, and I think that that's the thing that I leave people with is like, um, if you are successful and you do have some success, try not to lose yourself to it. Always remember to be kind, treat other people the way you want to be treated and um very importantly like if you don't spend money on the worldview that you want to see somebody else will spend money on the worldview that they want to see and so we need more people i would say on the left but just generally speaking more empathetic mm -hmm. um kind thoughtful people making more money and uh, and that is how we're gonna get more change in the world awesome well and i, I think Oh, go ahead. Oh, and he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. And he's gone. What a great, what a great uh, way to leave. What a great Hard network out. Thank you to Sheets and Giggles. Thank you to Colin for coming through. We had a lot of fun. Thank you for being a guest. Coming on the pod and chipping in. Your words are proof. You're the best guest of them all.
we do, we end up pushing the interview over an hour past the requested time limit <laughs> as of always, the person. Man, as always. And he was so polite about it. He's so polite Everybody about is. it. He's so nice. <laughs> uh, the question is, should we stop doing that or do we just keep, you know, allowing people to talk? I don't want to cut people off. I like yeah. it. Um, I mean, the conversation flowed pretty freely, you know, it wasn't like forced. So no, nope. Colin's know. a fantastic human being, literally one of the kindest people I've ever met for no reason whatsoever. Uh, he gifted me a VIP pass to Moss, Miami. When I went to Miami, I had literally like the, the Levitard show was doing a giveaway for VIP passes. I arrived in Miami, turned my phone off airport mode, and within five minutes had given my credit card information out to a scam artist because that's how smart I am. I'm smart. And then I made a post about that's it. That's how smart they are. The scam artist is. They're yeah. so smart. There's con men, man. They're smart, right? <laughs> you know, point is, sheets and giggles. I reached out to them and told them that someone was posing as their company. And what did they do? They gave me a free VIP pass. They brought me in. They allowed me to meet some of my heroes. And Colin and he, and Sheets and Giggles, fantastic people. How would you not want to deal with, you know, positive ethics, positive positive environmental, uh, uh, you know, impact? And You got something against eucalyptus sheets? I love I mean, eucalyptus. It's my favorite tree, my favorite yeah. smell. Yeah, I'm going to just say that. Don't koala eat it. Come on. Koalas are cute. I'm a koala. All right, and since you stuck with us all the way until the end, we have a little audio reward for you. Yes, that is the classic Northwest hip-hop, funk, soul fusion. The song is called Something About You by the Nostalgia Pit's very own Aurelis. Yes, all links will be found in the descriptions. Big shout-out to Shiggles, and salute. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you. Woo! And boom, 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 boom. After that, you know what I mean? <laughs> do, you, do, you know, do you know what I, I mean, do, though? No, I know exactly what you mean. Do you know what I mean? If I can find the sample. Something about you 
Something about you. Something about you. Hey, something about. 